It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. And let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Welcome to the podcast. So uh, I think people are concerned about Trump fatigue. Uh, We have a cascading legal house of cards. I don't know what you want to call it. Dominoes of of all different investigations and legal actions against Donald Trump. Of course, the most recent E. Jean Carroll, uh, in which Donald Trump was found liable for sexual assault. We also know about Alvin Bragg and the 34 felony charges on falsifying business records. We know stuff is heating up in Fulton County, Georgia, about the 2020 influence uh, that Donald Trump tried to have in that that election, January 6th, the documents at Mar-a-Lago. There's a lot more, actually. So enough about the emotions about it. We all have our feelings about Donald Trump. Uh, uh, We all have, whether it's ambivalence, love, hatred, whatever it may be. I, I, as an omnivorous news consumer, want to prepare myself for the fire hose of legal cases, investigations, information coming at us. I want to know how to sort of set myself, get ready for it, and filter out what's important and what's not. So who better (laughs) to help us sort this out, because I know I'm not alone, is Andrew Weissman. You may have seen him on MSNBC. He's a legal analyst there. He also has a brand new, well, not brand new. He's had about eight episodes of the podcast Mm -hmm. called Prosecuting Donald Trump. But he's got an amazing background, a legal background, assistant U.S. attorney, a lot of focus on organized crime, including the conviction of one of my favorites, Vinny the Chin. Uh, lead prosecutor at Department of Justice, general counsel of the FBI, and also now a professor at NYU Law School. And just a fun fact, he clerked for Judge Eugene Nickerson, who was a predecessor several times removed of mine as Nassau County Executive. So, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. So great to be here, Laura. I was thinking when you were saying that there are people with Trump fatigue, it's like if you have Trump fatigue now, you know what? Go to bed. Like, get under a rock. Don't come out for two years Um, because we are we are at the beginning of the end. You know, it is. But there is a long way to go. There is a long way to go. And I have a hard time organizing in my mind just all the legal stuff. So there's the stuff I mentioned at the top of the podcast, but there's a bunch of other baskets. For instance, the Manhattan D.A., the. Westchester DA and the New York Attorney General are all looking at him allegedly, potentially inflating property values. He's got personal lawsuits coming at him from Michael Cohen, from his niece, Mary Trump, from 2016 campaign workers suing over non-disclosure agreements. There's a class action lawsuit over a maybe a pyramid scheme. There's all these in- congressional investigations about tax returns, accepting gifts from foreign sources, lease of the D.C. hotel. Then we get to 9-11, excuse me, we get to January 6th, where there are nine separate lawsuits and investigations. So in your podcast, Prosecuting Donald Trump, how do you break this all down for people? And how can we, how can you help us deal with this? Um, So first, I think it's useful to take the criminal allegations First, yes, um, and you know, those are 
um, generally more serious. I mean, obviously, it can result in jail time. And when something is criminal, it's because society has decided that is something that is is more appropriate um, if you do it. And for um, instance, the E. Jean Carroll was actually a civil lawsuit, not criminal. I, exactly. It's what I call the oxymoron lawsuit because it was the civil rape trial. Yeah. When you think about that, you think, what? Yeah, it's an um, actual oxymoron. I never so thought about that. It is. I mean, but, but um, you know, of course, a rape victim, or in this case, it was proved that it was a sexual assault victim, uh, uh, is totally entitled as a plaintiff uh, victim to sue the abuser. Um, and she did. And she um, also claimed uh, and won on defamation. So so I sort of separate it first into the criminal bucket and mm-hmm. think about sort of the, the four sort of obvious things. So there's the Bragg case, which has been brought. And that is really to think about, you know, when is that going to happen? When will it go to trial? What are the potential uh, legal issues. What are the um, what is the possibility if there's a conviction of jail time, and then I think about the ones that haven't been brought yet. So Georgia, and then the two federal investigations. Very much thinking about what are the legal issues, what are the defenses, the timing. I mean, the clock the is timing. so important here. Um, uh, so, for instance, the federal cases, which could be quite strong and quite devastating. Um, may go away if they are not successfully brought to conclusion Mm. by the time of the presidential election. Because if a Republican were to become president, that person would have the ability to either pardon Donald Trump or just end the DOJ case. I mean, Mm. they they are in charge of the Department of Justice as it's an executive branch decision and they could just end it. So those are... Those are interesting cases. You know, let me ask you right there. I mean, you are a formal federal prosecutor. These cases sometimes, to a former DOJ guy, these cases can take a long uh, time. Yep. Do you think that there is um, the chance that some of them won't ripen before the election? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I've, I've for a long time have uh, said it's really important to keep your eye on the clock. It is one of the reasons that many people, including myself, uh, have been critical of the Department of Justice, not so much Jack Smith, because he was only relatively recently appointed, but in terms of the Department of Justice getting a slow start, in my view, to examining the higher ups involved in January 6th, meaning the people in the White House, uh, up to and including Donald Trump. And the reason that delay becomes important is exactly as you're saying, Laura, that that it takes a while, even after you've indicted a case, to bring Mm. that person to trial. They also, let's assume that there's a conviction. The person has a right to appeal. Um, The person may not be sentenced for quite some time. They may not, uh, if they're sentenced to jail, the the judge can say, you know what, I'm going to wait to put you in jail until after the appeals are over. I mean, there's just a, a lot of delay built in the system. And... And, and delay, that's important. I mean, delay that is there for due process reasons, because a defendant is entitled to have defense counsel, discovery, make motions. I mean, all of that is part of the system. And if you believe in the rule of law, you have to believe in the delay post-indictment. Um, so those federal cases can take a long time. At the state level, they, they also can take some time, but there isn't the same concern about somebody pulling the plug. Right. Um, so you're so, talking about the Georgia, which is being handled by the Fulton County DA, Alvin Bragg here in Manhattan DA, yep. those cases. Absolutely. Now with Alvin Bragg, there is a very good chance that that will go to trial 
uh, next year. Mm. Uh, Alvin Bragg has asked for a trial in January. I think that's unlikely, but let's assume it's just a few months after that. That's still well before any presidential election. Um, the issue there is that that there are a lot of legal issues um, to be resolved in that case, and that even if there is a conviction, and I really don't like to assume that there would be, so let's assume, though, for this purpose, that there is a conviction. Um, this is an e-felony under New York law. That is a that is a low-level felony. This Do is people a, normally serve jail time for no, that, prison time don't. for that? Um, they somebody, don't. So I just think it would be unlikely, not impossible, but unlikely that there would be jail time or any significant jail time. And there was this interesting piece in the Times. I actually had Willie Rashbaum from the Times on my radio show last Sunday about how it was very much in the weeds, but I found it fascinating how there has to be a second charge to make it a felony, yeah. but they're keeping that close to the vest. We don't know what that second charge is. Do you have any yeah. idea what that might be? Yeah. So I thought Willie has done a series of very good pieces. I actually texted him about the most recent piece because I thought it was yeah. just excellent. Um, and it, there's sort of two pieces to it. Let me first answer your question. Um, so one, I think that the DA has to be more forthcoming about what specific what I call predicate crimes are, because the defense is entitled to oh, know. Oh, the second? The second this, this yeah. Essentially, what's, what is it that allows this to be not a misdemeanor, but a, a felony? Yeah. And I I have heard that the DA's office doesn't typically do that. Right. Um, but my view is you may not typically do it, but that's just a bad practice. I mean, you know, I've been a prosecutor for many, many years, but I've also been a defense lawyer. And one of the things that defense is entitled is to know what are the specific charges so they can defend themselves. So um, here, for instance, there are a lot of potential legal issues if this state's theory is that the predicate crime, the thing that allows it to be a felony, um, involves federal campaign crimes. Mm. Why? Because it's not totally clear under state law that a federal campaign crime can be um, statutorily, and this is like super in the weeds. Yes, but I get um, but, what you're saying. It can't be handled by a DA's office. Ex exactly. Yeah. No, it's possible, but it needs to be litigated. And I is mean, that why Trump's lawyers are looking to get it change to a federal venue? No, I don't think that. I mean, either way, whether this was being a federal venue or being a state venue, they still have the right, in my view, to know what is the what is the sort of nature of the charge and and what is it that, that the state is relying on. By the way, Alvin Bragg did give us sense of that in a press conference. But saying it in a press conference is very different than getting a document that you can yes. hold the DA to that says, these are my theories and my only theories. So when you go to court, you can be sure I'm relying on these two or three or four, whatever it is, that's fine. But the DA should have to say it. Um, the issue, by the way, of removing it to federal court, I'm not really sure why um, Trump wants to do that other than uh, he's obviously has some experience with the state judge because the state judge oversaw the trial where there was convicted. By the way, he's a Trump thing, hater. There was yeah. Well, any <laughs> any case where there is where which holds Trump accountable, it's like a Trump hater, yeah. and it's a you know the person's gets you know there's a lot of adjectives and adverbs and invective mm -hmm. that goes along with that. But he was the judge that oversaw the uh, Trump organization trial right. in the fall where there were where there were convictions. Just That's where, right. it's worth remembering the Trump organizations were criminally. 
convicted this fall. That didn't get as much attention. It, it didn't. And I think it's because, you know, they, they can't go to jail. It's an yeah. inanimate object. Um, so I think, by the way, the removal to federal court, just I'll give you a little preview. There's no way, there's just snowball's chance in hell oh. that that's going to work. Okay. By the way, when I when I get that wrong, you're going to be able to tease me later. Yeah. Um, but to remove it to a federal court, you have to be able to say that the actions that are at issue or done under um, color of your office. Mm. And so here, the nature of the um, of the crime has to do with hush money payments. And I, I just don't see Trump saying, oh, wait, this was done as part of my being president. Um, it doesn't count to say I was running for office. I was a I was in a campaign. So I just don't see how that's possible. Um, to be removed um, federally. But that will be decided presumably in June by Judge Hellerstein, who has the, the case to decide that issue. Presumably, if he decides against Donald Trump, it goes back to state court for it to continue. And by the way, during this interim period, the state case proceeds. It's not like there's a stay of what's going on. So discovery and motions and all of that right, is proceeding. Going. Yeah. Of all of the cases that we're talking about, January 6th, the documents, uh, Georgia, which do you think is the highest stakes for Donald Trump? The highest stakes for Donald Trump, I think, is Georgia. And mm. it's, not, it's not that it's the most serious. I think that the January 6th federal investigation is the most serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe Georgia and Mar-a-Lago, especially if they can show obstruction, because I was a national security lawyer also, is mm. very, very serious to me because mm. of the, the impact. Because one could say, well, Pence and Biden and everybody has documents. What's the big deal? Yeah. Well, the How is this different? Yeah. So the difference is um, that there's so far zero evidence that um, Pence and Biden intentionally took or retained the documents, which means it's not even a crime if, if you don't can't show intentionality. Whereas with Donald Trump, at least but based on the reporting so far, there is a lot of evidence suggesting that this was intentionally retained hmm. at Mar-a-Lago. In fact, um, at the town hall, it, the former president basically suggested that he intentionally took them. Um, not just retain them, uh, but actually took them intentionally from the White House, which is not allowed. Um, but in addition, uh, there's no evidence that Pence and Biden obstructed justice, meaning that once the documents were discovered by the government, both Pence and Biden, by all accounts, sort of did the right thing, which is like, here they are. This is what, you know, come get them, et cetera. Whereas with Donald Trump, it was months and months and months of pulling teeth. And then as we you know, famously, no, he, there was a certification that said, I've returned everything. I'm just giving you sort of the 60,000 foot yeah. level because I can bore you to death with the weeds. <laughs> um, you're going to be thinking, why did I invite him? Oh, um, no, I, I can't. I, I mean, it's just I find this endlessly fascinating. So um, please go on. So um, so the, you know, the classic part of it, the obstruction is a certification that says I returned everything and then a search was done. And of course, he hadn't returned everything. And some of the documents were actually mm, in his office. OK, so that that just separates it's hard it to so commu- much. It's because it is in the weeds. It's hard for that to com- be communicated beyond a soundbite. I, I totally agree. And you know, that's one of the reasons like your show is important. Podcasts in general can be important. Longer form is mm. important. Um, and, you know, if you... A lot of people say, well, people won't understand that. People will think, oh, 
Pence and Biden and Trump yeah. should all be treated the same. But the facts are, are very likely to be extremely different. And if you want to know what happens at the Department of Justice, you distinguish cases based on their facts and the law. And that is what you do. And so if you're sitting there looking at, let's just take um, the former Vice President uh, Pence, and you're saying, okay, he found a few documents, he called up the Department of Justice, they turned them over. That's one category, but you're unlikely to even hit the threshold of is it a crime, meaning that there's no evidence of any intentional conduct. If there's no intentional conduct, you're not going to have a crime. There's no crime. Exactly. Um, and so th that sort of parsing of facts and law, I think this is an opportunity to educate the public on why there are these distinctions. And that's where, I guess having done a lot of jury trials, my my general view is if you just can explain to people why you're doing something, I, I've had very good experiences with jurors, and it's it doesn't you don't mm. have to have gone to Harvard and Yale to you know to people connect. have yeah, and to have people have a lot of common sense. They do, um, and so uh, I think if you can just explain it in plain English as to what you're doing, uh, I think that goes a long way. So. I want to get back to Georgia in a minute, but what yep. you said just reminded me of something uh, that, you know, Trump says this is political. It's all a witch hunt, yada, yada. You having been a prosecutor, are prosecutors at the DOJ and other places sitting there thinking, hmm, I'm rubbing my hands and seeing how I can get Trump. How can I do this? What what, you know, crazy scheme can I hatch? Is that what happens um, sometimes? So or is it different if you're dealing with DAs and that sort of thing? Different mm -hmm. kinds of prosecutors. So let's just take Jack Smith. He was head of the public integrity section at the Department of Justice, which handles public corruption cases. It's the largest group of prosecutors in the Department of Justice doing just uh, public corruption. They don't give a darn whether the person they don't is give a fig. Exactly. <laughs> I, I've cleaned up my language since the days when I was a prosecutor. Um, uh, they don't care whether the person's a Democrat, a Republican, an Independent, whether they were none of them or all of them. It's like, did you do a crime that is worthy of prosecution? Um, and Jack mm. is actually falls into that category. He has prosecuted Democrats and Republicans. I mean, it just it just it just doesn't enter into it. It's worth mm. remembering if you are under investigation, if you are a defendant, this is what you do. I mean, this is just not. Surprising to me, you know, one of the things I learned from doing organized crime work in the Eastern District of New York was you become the defense in part. It's like they just they scream and yell about the prosecutors and how awful they are and how they coached witnesses. And and it's at first it's a little you're sort of taken aback because you're like, wait a second, I'm just a lawyer. I'm yeah. just doing my job. And you realize, you know what? Defense lawyers have to do something. They they have to they don't have a lot to work with at times. Mm. And um, that's just one of the things that is part of the playbook. So, you know, Donald Trump doing that and saying that is like, that's what you do when you're under investigation. So if you notice, um, he has not just attacked Alvin Bragg, but he has started to attack uh, Fonnie Willis. He's attacked That's the uh, uh, Fulton Smith. County DA, yeah. Exactly. And that's because he sees what's coming. And, uh, you know, he, with respect to Eugene Carroll's same thing. Yeah. And then once there's a conviction or a finding of liability, he says, oh, well, of course, that was an unfair uh, case. Right. Even though, by the way, in Eugene Carroll's case, it's just so ironic because, of course, he was given every opportunity to testify. Um, and who doesn't testify yeah, why in do a rape you, case? Why do you think he didn't? 
Yeah, so I think that answers itself. Yeah, um, because um, the <laughs> there's nothing he could have said. Yeah, well, he, he's a he's a terrible witness. I mean, look, remember then I was on the Mueller investigation, and early on he said, "I'm absolutely happy to come in. I'm happy to talk to them." And of course, we all thought that is never going to happen in a million years, and mm. it didn't. Mm. Why? Because his counsel basically like probably s- strapped him down and sat on him <laughs> saying you cannot possibly testify mm. the very very best thing for the government or for Eugene Carroll would have been his taking the stand um and one a good example of that is if you look at the deposition and that was used in the Eugene Carroll case I mean he, he did not help himself I mean he said things that were so damaging oh god it was painful painful I mean when he said that Stars can grope women and have groped women for a million years. For a million years, which is an interesting time frame. I don't know if humanity, like yeah. Homo yeah. sapiens, have go back that far. I did a yeah. little research. Maybe, maybe stars do though. Maybe stars, there's like Homo well, sapiens special. special. Yeah. Um, but the idea that and no one he, else has said that, by the way, about um, the million years. I think we've broke a little yeah. news here today. And then, of course, there was the unfortunately. Or fortunately, which you know, that's by the way a good example of good lawyering, which is they let that sit. Because then you get to sum up saying to the jury, let's just go back over what part of that is fortunately. And it just was so reminiscent of Charlottesville where he said there are good people on both sides. And you just – how is sexual assault of women ever fortunate? Um, And to me it was such a slip. Um, oh, but I don't want to lie. I'm just I'm just stating a fact. Yeah, well, that's a fact. That's that, that that's a that's a good example of why his lawyers do not want him to yes, take the stand. Yes, it's a perfect example. That might be it. Might be truthful. It's also a, an admission of liability. I mean, he's sitting there saying, "Yeah, people grope people, and it's totally fine." Well, that's what that was the allegation by Eugene Carroll. So you shouldn't be surprised that a jury finds that you know what she said. You did what you told the public. You do. How do you think that's what's going to happen in the appeal process? So it's really interesting. I I don't think there's much of an appeal because it's mostly just a factual finding. And so that that's the standard on appeal is not sort of de novo, meaning they don't review it. Um, and is it be, that's because it's a civil jury. case? Is yeah, that, it's a civil case. And also it's just a fact finding where mm. they said, did you, did you find that this happened? Did you believe her or did you not believe her? Um, and so... That's a very hard thing for an appellate court hmm. to second guess unless there was no evidence or such thin evidence. And there isn't here. I mean, there's once you have one witness saying this is what happened, a jury's entitled to assess credibility and make a determination. There's some legal rulings that will be challenged, um, uh, they, whether they should have admitted the Access Hollywood tape, whether they should have had uh, two other women be allowed to testify. Those will all be fleshed out. I, I don't see a lot of hope for that. There also is this open issue of what's going to happen because Eugene Carroll brought two cases. Um, it's sort of complicated about why, but there still is a pending case uh, that that she has hmm. for defamation. Um, the only reason she was allowed to bring the second case is because the New York law changed. And I think it's wonderful because it allowed women one year period to reach back to bring yeah. cases of um, rape and sexual assault. And Eugene Carroll herself w- was almost a perfect exhibit of why that was such a good change in the law because she talked about how women of her generation and her and specifically just, you just don't 
complain and you don't report yeah. and it's something you just live with and you're blaming yourself. Yeah. And that it only took the sort of the Me Too movement to sort of enlighten her and embolden her to feel like she actually could do this and should do it. And to me, that was such a great way in which the law was cognizant of that problem and vindicated justice for those women. So something that you said, I think is very true that Trump and team, but really it comes from him, uh, puts whether it's E. Jean Carroll, Alvin Bragg, Jack Smith, Robert Mueller, whoever it is, they make him the bad guy, the boogeyman, the, uh, the one who's out to get me, which is just as simple as saying, hey, well, Biden took him too. What's the big deal? That simplification. Um, but I do want to get back before we lose the thread yes, on Georgia. the high stakes. Why yeah. is that the high stakes one in your yeah, opinion? Uh, exactly. Um, it's so good that you keep the train of thought because I'm like, you know, <laughs> stream I, of we, consciousness. Like, right. every, everything leads to another question. So yes. but I want to go back to this one. So the reason I think that even though I said it's not the most serious that Jack Smith's January yes. 6th. The reason I think it's the one that I would worry about the most is uh -huh. because it's sort of it's federally pardon proof. A federal pardon oh. does not go oh. to state cases. Um, and oh. so you might Alvin Bragg's case isn't going to result in all likelihood in jail time, even if there's a conviction. So not Whereas, so high stakes. Yeah, exactly. So if I'm I'm his defense lawyer, Donald Trump's defense lawyer, God help me. Um, that's not happening. Um, and, <laughs> <You> never know. <laughs> um, no, I know. No, 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 Laura. I know. You know. <laughs> and um, that's the one where if there were a conviction, there's definitely the prospect of jail. I mean, that is part of the ah. effort to overturn a presidential election. I mean, mm. if you don't go to jail for that, it's hard to imagine what you why, why anybody who are foot soldiers in D.C. who've been convicted have gone to jail. So there's a lot of precedent for people who've, who are less culpable going to jail and serving time. And the problem is that even if there's a Republican president, there's nothing they can do with respect to a separate state case. I see. That's mm. very interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm zooming out a little bit and I'm thinking this is a really interesting conversation. The word unprecedented is way overused. But do you ever when you're doing your reporting, uh, when you're on on MSNBC, you're doing your podcast and you're thinking about this, do you think to yourself, wait a minute, this is crazy. This is a former president of the United States that we're talking about. Someone who's a front runner right now, 18 months is a lifetime, who knows what could happen, who, but who could conceivably be the president again. How, how do you process that mentally and emotionally? That's such a great question because one of the things that Donald Trump has been able to do is reset our expectations and change what we feel is shocking and acceptable. Uh, I'll tell you the recently one of the examples of that for me was when Judge Kaplan in the Eugene Carroll case before it started said we're going to have an anonymous jury because of concern that Donald Trump essentially will tamper with the jury. Mm. Uh, and like a then, mobster. and then like a mobster. Yes. And then um, just a week later, uh, Donald Trump was threatening Alvin Bragg, his family, the judge and the judge's family. A former president of the United States where where you were having a conversation about 
how do you protect the jury, the judge, and the prosecutor? Uh, to me, the last time I, I had had that experience was when we were talking about John Gotti. Wow. Um, it's, it's, it's inconceivable. Um, but that's where we are. We have somebody who, whose companies have been criminally convicted, who has been found uh, by nine jurors unanimously to have sexually assaulted uh, one woman, but highly likely that they believed all three women, that he is under indictment for 34 state felonies, and he very well could be charged in three more cases, two federal and one state, in addition to all of the other civil issues that, that you um, you addressed at the outset. Uh, and this is somebody who, I won't say majority of America, but a substantial portion of America is able to look beyond all that uh, in the yeah. way that I remember when he was running for office um, for president, I remember thinking, well, there's no way he can be president because of his overt racism and sexism and xenophobia. I also think about and what he said about John McCain, how he wasn't a hero, when making fun of the disabled reporter. I mean, it was, seemed like one thing after another, the Access Hollywood tape, where everyone said, oh, okay, this is the time. Oh, right. this is the time. It never was the time. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because the people who, uh, after Sarah Palin, uh, the Republicans famously sort of had a reset thinking that they need to sort of be more Maverick. centrist and that this that was the wrong road to go down. And one of uh, Trump's sort of, you know, I think sort of brilliance in terms of as a political animal was realizing, no, 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 uh, that's the road. And we need to double down on that. And he's given unapologetically. License, right. And double down on um, things that are really deplorable in <laughs> to, coin, to coin a word. <laughs> yes, exactly. In, exactly. Um, uh, but it turned out to be to be true. Um, and I had always thought that I still think that that Americans are basically decent and honest and want their leaders to be um, responsible and people you they look do. up to. Take care of stuff, handle yeah. things. And, I, you know, that might be an area where it, there is it, it, obviously there is substantial Part of the population that is willing to look beyond um, those issues with Donald Trump and may, may like his policies. There may be other people who are actually attracted to the things that we find he, Yeah, I, I, I can see the attraction to this guy is authentic. He's not full of it. He's not all focus grouped and market tested. He just is what he is and he says it like it is. And that's how I think. This summer, dive into the many cools of San Antonio. Because as soon as the temperature rises, so does the fun, the flavors, the excitement, and the many cool things that make our city the perfect summer getaway destination. Come keep cool with amazing pools, the best hotels, refreshing adventures both indoor and outdoor, inspiring history and culture, culinary wonders, and the hottest nights of your life at the coolest spots in Texas. To plan the coolest summer vacation, dive in to visitsanantonio.com slash summer. You know, it's so interesting, though, because I think people confuse spontaneity with veracity. Um, so he may be unscripted, but that doesn't mean that he's a truth teller. Um, and I think that's the same reason that you found that he didn't come in and talk to Robert Mueller and he didn't testify in his sexual abuse trial. So it seems 
that we are becoming used to, inured to, immune to being shocked by him. And a lot of people thought, oh, after each, I've heard that, I couldn't believe I was hearing this from people, like, what planet are you living on? After this E. Jean Carroll uh, liability that, okay, now people will really start, and the other Republicans will start to actually talk about him and the, his, his, his opponents in, in a primary will start to say things. No, it hasn't happened before. Why do you think it would happen now? So I, in my head, We've reached such a maximum saturation in our brains with this guy that none of this is going to change people's minds. Maybe like a very tiny, tiny slice of the middle. Do you do you think I'm wrong? Well, the the issue. So I don't think you're wrong, but but you've been in politics. I have not. And, you know, when I think about sort of the bell curve that small slice in the middle may be, the, be everything. It is right? the most powerful. Those are the most powerful people in the country. Right. And, and it, but it, it also may be enough. In other words, if you're thinking, are there people who are, you know what, I might like the policies, but I'm not in for four more years of this. Uh, and no, I don't want somebody who sexually assaulted women in the, in the White House. But maybe um, they look at Biden and they think, hmm, he's not looking too healthy. I don't know how this is going to yeah. go. I'm concerned about Kamala Harris. You know, are the dem- this has now become a political conversation for the last minute that we have. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people might just say, you know what, let's just go with this guy. Things were better. I could buy eggs cheaper. Forget it. It's, it's possible. That's, you know, I'm not an expert at that. I do foresee that it's going to be a, a very uh, sort of bloody yeah. uh, pitched campaign. I think that's going to be highly racist because of Kamala Harris and that, mm. and that Trump is going to sort of essentially try and run against her. Uh, and also the stakes for Trump are so high because if he is facing these two federal indictments, uh, the, you know, his his actual freedom uh, could easily be at stake. Yeah. So I think that for him, all of the chips are going to be on the table. And I think um, we got a preview of what we're going to see at the CNN town hall because he was as ruthless, as shameless, and as, you know, just more, more and more than ever. I think he's just decided I'm going full throttle. This is it, guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to be a fly on the wall of the campaign teams of all of the other Republicans who are running because how do you, I think he's going to make mincemeat out of all of them during the uh, debates. Yeah, well, yeah, that's not that's not really my expertise, but you know, I do think that that Republicans have a problem because there obviously are a substantial number who do not want to see him as the leader of the party, but he has essentially he has the votes. Exactly. Um, so they're afraid of of alienating those people. But in the meantime, Andrew Weissman, thank you so much for coming and clarifying this. And I think I will be, it'll be easier now to digest all of this news, really watching Georgia very, very closely. That's the highest stakes because no, you know, if he goes to jail, there's no pardon there. Yeah. And so keep your eyes on it for this summer sometime yeah. in July or, or August okay. is where if there's going to be a decision one way or the other, it's pretty clear that's when it's going to happen. The plot will only thicken. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So great to be here. Listeners, please like and subscribe and check out my radio show on WABC Radio here in New York City, Sundays at 4 p.m. See you then. <laughs>